Welcome to Dense in the Darkness, the monthly podcast of the Northeast Collaborative. We empower pastors to lead and launch healthy churches in Northeast America. I'm your host, Tim Madeira from WRGN, and I'm here with NEC's president, Dan Nichols. And this month, we have small church guru Carl Vaders with us. Dan, why did you want to have Carl come on the podcast? Well, Tim, I got some information for you. Are you ready for this? Yep. 95% of all churches in America are under 500 people in attendance. Did you know that? No, I did not. Well, especially in Northeast America, this is something that's especially true in our neck of the woods. So a couple of years, I read Carl Vader's book, Small Church Essentials. Man, it was unbelievable. Carl is basically the new Yoda for healthy, smaller churches. So I, I, I still have to find out what he thinks about that uh, that label, but yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> what you think about that yet, Carl. I'll figure that out. But yeah, I just I also love his attitude that he certainly isn't anti big churches by any means, but he serves a huge need for the vast majority of churches in our nation today by helping the average church get healthier. So he's also slated to be the main speaker for our 2023 Northeast Leadership Summit hashtag NLS23. So we are just super pumped that we can connect more with Carl on the podcast today. Well, it is good to have you with us, Carl, and we want to give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself to our listeners, how you came to Christ, your ministry journey, and even your family. Well, boy, I got to figure out how how I got to Guru and Yoda, I guess, is what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> With a last name like Vader's, yeah, um, right? Yoda probably gets better. <laughs> On the wrong Guru. side there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, my background, I'm actually a third generation pastor. Uh, my grandfather uh, was a pastor in Newfoundland, Canada. Um, my father was a pastor until uh, just the last 15 years or so. He's now retired and actually attends the church that we serve. Uh, mm -hmm. Right now, I was called into pastoral ministry uh, in college, and I, I, I came into pastoral ministry just about five years before all pastoral ministry teaching shifted. When I went to Bible college, I literally borrowed half of my dad's textbooks from when he went to college because they were still using them. Mm -hmm. Five years later, they were all gone. It was all church growth stuff. And I looked around and went, okay, wait a minute. I got to relearn everything here. And I did. I jumped in, I relearned it, I got onto the church growth bandwagon and learned a lot of great stuff from it, got a lot of great value out of it. And then um, after a couple um, you know, short tenure pastoral uh, places, we ended up in Orange County, California, uh, right in the middle of you know Church Growth Central, just a couple miles from the original Calvary Chapel, the original Vineyard, Saddleback Church, Church on the Way, Angelus Temple, Church, Fuller Church Growth Institute. You know, all of these things are all around us. And I thought, well, you know, I, I'm going to really apply these church growth uh, principles here. And this is a place where big things happen, and that's going to be for us. And then it didn't quite work out the way the church growth stuff appeared to promise. And I, when I say appeared to promise, I truly mean that. That if you talk to most church growth people, they'll tell you, we're not promising anything. But mm. that was how it looked to me. <laughs> and then when it didn't come about, I almost, you know, I, I really flamed out for a little while. I was like, I must be really blowing something here. It's almost like the whole multi-level marketing thing, isn't it? Where, you know, you get the idea that you're going to get the million dollars and the new car and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes doesn't always pan out that way. Yeah. Yeah. The, the headline is different than the fine print. 
Um, and, and I don't, I don't know that anybody's intentionally hiding from it yet from you. It's just that you, we celebrate the success stories. That's just the nature of things. You know, we celebrate the big explosive growth things. And then that begins to feel normative to us. Mm. And then when it doesn't take place for 90% of, as you mentioned, 95% under, under 500, it's true. It's all, and it's 90% of churches are under 200 in attendance. Wow. So the numbers start dropping real fast. So it, the church growth principles are not producing the numerical results that the headlines seem to imply. Uh, and they didn't for me. And so I had to look around and reframe things and go, okay, if most churches are small, what does a healthy small church look like? And I looked for the book and couldn't find it. So I had to write the book. <laughs> that's, that's that's the best reason to write is when that niche is there and man i'll tell you when i read it for the first time carl it it is one of the most important books i think for the average pastor that's out there because it is not only just a, a how-to although there's certain certainly plenty of that what i love about it is you you infuse in small church essentials uh, a redefinition of success, which that's actually our focus concept for NLS 2022 this year is redefining success. And I think that you mentioned it just a couple minutes ago, like that's the biggest problem. I think with a lot of pastoral struggles is we're measuring the wrong things in the wrong ways and defining success in ways that God never intended. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, the idea of, like, like I said at the beginning of my story, uh, I wasn't even it wasn't a subject. It wasn't a moment of conversation about how big our church is going to get when I was actually in Bible college and mm -hmm. it hadn't been ever, ever. And then all of a sudden it became not just a thing to talk about, which I think it should be a thing to talk about, but it became the only thing to talk about. And so now there is no such thing, at least for a certain season, there wasn't such a thing as a church leadership conference. It was only a church growth conference for a while. It became the exclusive conversation. And again, I don't have a problem with talking numbers. I think numbers can help us to understand things objectively that otherwise we may not be seeing accurately but it is not the be all and end all. It has to be one of the tools in the tool belt. It's not the entire tool belt. Now you have obviously a passion for the church. Why? Because Jesus does. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read, I read about that uh -huh. somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. I, I look around and see uh, what does Jesus love? And I go on to love the stuff that Jesus love. And Jesus has a, uh, uh, has a real passion for his bride. He mm. really, really loves the church. Yeah. And um, so why and, Christians hate the church so much then? I know it's weird. Well, I, I think, What's happened is we hate the things that have been glommed on to the church that mm -hmm. are not what Jesus called the church to be. Exactly. So we, we correctly have a problem with that. And then it's really hard for most people because they don't spend all of their time doing what we do, which is thinking and talking about just this subject, right? Yeah. So the average person looks at it and goes, yeah. it's all part of, of the same thing. And so I just reject the whole thing rather than, you know, divide, taking the chaff from the wheat. Uh, they just reject the whole thing. And I get why they do it, but we can't do that. I was just talking about this with a pastor friend who was telling me a story about another pastor he knew who was a church planter. And he actually ended up working with him to try to help plant a church. But this 
uh, church planner deconstructed his faith and left uh, his family for another woman. I think she was in the church or something like that, but it wasn't just that he had the affair and left his family. It was, he actually left the faith altogether. And my friend started to think about this as he was trying to wrestle with it. And he sat down with him and he said, look, through our journey together, you talked about prayer and evangelism and discipleship all the time. I never once heard you talk about Jesus. Mm. And that I, when I heard him share that, it was just yesterday we were talking about this. I'm like, man, that is so true. Cause I think so much of this uh, deconstruction, right. And, and, and all this that, that people are wrestling with, I think a lot of it is wrestling with stuff that isn't a, a real relationship with a real God named Jesus. It's about all this extra baggage that either we've put on it or they're adding on to it and it's, it's a big mess. But anyway, I just thought that story was really powerful. Yeah. I, I, I actually kind of caught myself doing that a few years ago where I was talking about all these good things and I uh, started realizing there are, there've been a lot of passages, uh, times I've gone through an entire sermon and literally haven't said the name Jesus or mm. I haven't walked them through what is the actual gospel salvation story? What is, you know, the, the story of salvation. And I now make it a point. One of the last things I do whenever I'm speaking is to do the word search of my own notes and make sure the name Jesus is in there and make sure, especially when I'm preaching on a Sunday, that even if I'm preaching, you know, an obscure passage out of the old Testament or whatever, because right now we're going through the entire Bible this year that I make sure at some point I am telling at least in short form, the gospel narrative, the yes. entire gospel story that people hear that every single time because it, it it's in the entire bible so we but but sometimes be, again because we are in this space all the time we make these assumptions that it's in there when it isn't necessarily in there we've got to get past the assumption we've got to make sure that we re-centralize christ and the salvation story mm. Well, as we look at the church then, let's talk about some of the successes and some of the things that, that may be a challenge to the church right now, the church that you're serving and the church as a whole here in the United States. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Obviously, the last couple of years have been just <laughs> weird, <laughs> bizarre, right? But I'm, I, I've kind of got this theory. I don't think um, COVID and the lockdowns, I don't think it changed anything. I think it accelerated and it amplified changes that were already in place. Yeah. Um, so we've had a 10-year uh, change in two years. Yeah. And, and, and we were already playing catch-up. <laughs> yeah. so, so now so, we're anyway, further behind is what you're saying yeah yeah so then it's like a big huge jump ahead yeah. uh, but what it's also done is it's made um it's made the the need for uh these adjustments more evident than they were before yeah like three four years ago i'm talking to pastors and i'm going we're behind the times we're not catching up there are things we need to go and they're looking at it and going i'm fine in my church nobody now is hearing that message going i'm fine in my church we're all going hell <laughs> <laughs> at least it's made the problems evident. And hopefully that means we're going to be looking more for, uh, you know, a, a, a good Christ-based biblical solution to these things. In addition to uh, an understanding of how do we adapt our methodology, because the, the, the scriptures and the truth of the gospel is the most adaptable truth in human history, mm -hmm. because it is truth and truth works everywhere. 
And if people have been attaching wrong things to it, which as we started out talking about is really what people are rejecting, then how do we clear away all of these things that have been attached to Jesus and try not to reattach other stuff, just try to, what was it with the old theologian just say, we just want to clean the face of Jesus so he can be seen. Well, and honestly, I feel like small churches in the last two years in some ways have been set up for success even more than a lot of mega churches, just because a lot of times the mindset of smaller churches can be more focused on community and relationships, not all the time, but sometimes they can be. And I feel like right now we are, even when I talk with pastors of very large churches, right? The whole conversation is relationships, relationships, relationships. Before the pandemic, it was not about relationships. It was about bigger, better, faster, you know, uh, smoother, sleeker, you know, all of these things. And we may not have used those terms, but that was the goal. Now it's like care, shepherding, uh, look people in the eye, sit down in physical space with them, you know, uh, make sure that you're weeping with those who weep, that type of stuff. And I, I feel like small, smaller churches are set up to, to do that in a really powerful way. Do you think that some of the reason that pastors are seeing and feeling that is because they're seeing and feeling that need for themselves? Oh boy, there's a, that, that's yes, absolutely. In fact, when I talk and about this, um, I, I talk about trauma. I've had, I had a friend who's got a doctorate in education with an, uh, with an emphasis in neurobiology. And she talks about what this trauma is actually doing to our brains. Uh, it's, it's it's changing us, it's rewiring us, and how the Lord gave us a process to actually bring the renewing of our minds. Um, and one of the things that I say in that is this, uh, we need to understand our own trauma first. Uh, it's really easy as pastors to look around and see how this person is acting out and that person is acting out and the other person is acting out. And then we don't recognize our own issues. And so um, I'm constantly uh, assessing and having people who are closest to me to take a look at me and guarding me. If I go down this trail, let me know, not on my 10th step, but on my first step so that I can pull back again, because I have to be strong and healthy and spiritually growing and emotionally stable if I've got any hope of helping others get there. I have two pastors in the past three days that have contacted me about feeling that that being on the edge right there. And then yep. one other that I just heard about this past weekend who committed suicide. And um, this guy was uh, just very instrumental in some people that are very close to me. And yet he either didn't see the signs or no one was there to come alongside of him. And it's so essential that we do that. Yeah. I, I was just at a conference, um, uh, you know, and when I, after I get up and give my first talk on small churches, then I just have this, you know, surrounded by all these small church pastors, first of all, being affirmed, but also just needing someone to offload on. And there was one, one pastor, especially, uh, he had come out of a much larger church and he's now in a smaller town in a smaller church. And he got there like three months before the, the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. And so in addition to trying to understand what the small church is supposed to be anyway, he's dealing with it all during this. And he was just overwhelmed and he just needed somebody to just talk to you can tell he is emotionally traumatized he is fragile right now he is hanging on by the skin of his teeth now he's in a group that understands that that sees that in fact it was the head of his denomination that said hey carl's going to be here talk to him when he gets here and he's Mm. been following up 
but we need to we need to look around and see our fellow pastors we need to recognize our own vulnerability here we are not immune to these problems yeah. we are not we we are not jesus and even jesus needed to rest yeah well honestly carl for what we're trying to do with northeast collaborative we launched it right before the pandemic so october 2019 and we had a training with our friends at 95 network uh dale and and all of them and man it was booming right we had numbers and we had vision and we had all these plans and then wham this pandemic hit and quite honestly carl like some of the most fruitful things that we have seen over the last two years has just been simply connecting with pastors with pastors churches with churches and just the relational uh camaraderie and also encouragement that's needed so we we say we empower pastors to run their race race resourcing accountability conferences encouragement but like the simplest things i think we're experts in complicating the simple and so when we actually execute the simple we are stunned at how powerful just doing the simple things right doing the one another's it, the results are unbelievable. I and think one of the one of the simple things that we did was like four episodes in, we had a pastor who had COVID, two of them in fact, on the podcast. And we talked to them about their experience because this was when it was so fresh and new that no one knew what to expect or anything mm -hmm. like that. And it was a very practical way to come to the church and say, this is what we can expect as we're coming into this. Now, as we looked at some of those challenges, what are some of the wins that you see in the church today? I think there's a lot, there's a lot of very good things. We talked about already, um, now, now we actually uh, have an urgency that we may not have had before. This has yes. created that. And so recognizing the problem is always uh, a, a really important first step. We now know that we have issues that we need to deal with. So I think there's that. Uh, I think secondly, this is, as you mentioned before, uh, a, a season where the strengths of the healthy small church are what we more evidently need than perhaps ever before. Yes. So I think that's there. I think thirdly, there is a real passion for people. It plays out, unfortunately, in, you know, cancel culture or whatever you want to call it, or online arguments and all these different things. But behind all of that is a renewed passion. There was, you know, 80s, 90s, and, and even the O's, O's decade. We've had three decades of, I just want to make all the money I can and live the best life I possibly can. And that was it. And now people are going, you know what, you know, millennials and Gen Z are now looking around and going, you know what, I'm not you know, I'm not just wanting to chase the money. There are some who are just going to do that. There always will be. But there's a whole big segment of it who are saying there are issues that matter to me. Now, sometimes the issues that matter are they're com they've completely got it wrong. It's unbiblical. It's unhealthy. <laughs> yeah. But the passion is there. At least the passion is back. I want to see people who are passionate about something because I think you can redirect passion. It's hard to get somebody started who has no passion. It's mm -hmm. easier to redirect the passion that's there, even if it's misdirected to redirect it back again. So I think we're in a season where we, if we step into these places relationally, if we live with integrity, this is one of our biggest things right now. We have, we have an integrity deficit in the church. Yeah. And if we can be seen as places with integrity and consistency, integrity and consistency will win over flash uh, in the long term. And that's why we've actually invited Dr. Crawford Loritz to come this year for NLS because his book on leadership is so unique. It's called Leadership as Identity. And he talks about that and he wrote it 
I, don't, I forget what year. I mean, a, long, a while back, at least for me, I'm a millennial. So I think everything was a long time ago, but <laughs> um, it, it talks about that, about the real metric for success and leadership is way more about character than it is about competency. And unfortunately over the last 50 or so years in church growth, whatever, whatever it is, the span of time, I think competency has been highlighted and valued way more than character. And we're starting to see that. Now, when you talk about integrity, Carl, what specifically are you referring to? Um, I'm talking, here's what I'm talking about. Doing the right thing every single time for a long time Hmm. with no agenda. Both Hmm. four things. Now, nobody is going to pull that off. Nobody since Jesus or before him has or will pull that off. Mm -hmm. But that's what integrity looks like. I, I I want to do the right thing every time for a long time with no agenda. And if people see that, uh, even if our skill set is a little bit wanting, uh, th- that's going to matter more than anything else. And when I blow it and I don't do the right thing, then step up and own it, not with ifs or buts or maybes, or if you're offended, then no, I was wrong. I am sorry. I will try to do this better in the future and realize that the road back from even a single mistake is much longer <laughs> than, than we were are going to want it to be. It's, it's hard to build trust. It's real quick to lose it. So Carl, can I push back a little bit on this? So I, I love doing the right thing every time for a long time, especially the long time. Cause my generation, millennial generation, man, we flake out at like one month and like, it's, right. it's a, it's a problem, but with no agenda. So I, I, I have a lot of ambition, right. As a young leader. And I remember reading a book by Dave Harvey that really helped me with this. It's called rescuing ambition. And he Mm -hmm. talks about how ambition and you were just mentioning it earlier, right? As, as long as there's passion, there's ambition, there's something inside that's alive. It can be redirected and it can be good. So can you go a little bit deeper with no agenda? Cause when I hear that, I go, well, if it's the right agenda, if the ambition is a holy ambition, I don't want to shirk back from telling people, yeah, I absolutely like even the church I'm leading now, like they know I have an agenda. The question is, does it align with God's heart? Yeah. But when I say with no agenda, I mean, I don't have an agenda behind, I'm not acting correctly as a way of selling the agenda coercively correctly. Yes. Yeah. I'm not being good so that I can get this done. I'm being good because being good on its own is correct. I'm I'm going to, I'm going to live a moral life because living a moral life is correct. It has the side benefit of actually helping the, 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 we need to have an agenda. We need to have a drive. It gets us out of bed in the morning. Right. But that can't be uh, that can't be the reason that we're acting correctly, because then once I accomplish my goal, then woo, I don't have to be good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the difference, isn't it, between my agenda and and God's agenda or Christ's agenda. And it's the difference between yeah. saying, OK, my agenda is to grow a church to 2000 or my agenda is to grow a healthy church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I was just having a conversation with somebody and he was talking about um, how he had heard some uh, a pastor years ago talk about um, somebody actually had asked a question of a, of a well-known megachurch pastor. You know, how, how do you keep your, your head on your shoulders when so much fame and so many, so many, the, such a big spotlight is on you. And he talked about how I've got um, 
I've got people who are I'm accountable to. I have an accountability system and I have people that are holding me accountable. And then he said, and then I watched this flame out happen and I realized he was just lying. He didn't, he didn't have anybody to hold him accountable. The evidence has shown over the last few years that in fact, nobody was holding accountable. Nobody was calling him to account. Mm. And the people who are now calling him to account, he's not listening to. Right. Yeah. So it, this was the appearance of correctness for the agenda. Mm. This is the appearance of good behavior for the agenda. It appeared, right. he, he appeared to be a person of integrity. And when we're driven, when we're driven to look correct because of the agenda, then, then it ends up being about the appearances and not about the actual integrity. Mm. Wow. There's a lot of pastors that are struggling right now. We've mentioned that already. What encouragement do you have for those pastors who are in the thick of it? They're doing what they can, but they feel like they're treading water. Uh, they, they don't see the church growth that they would like to see, and it's hard. Yeah, we talked earlier about the whole redefining success, which is what so much of my ministry is about, but particularly in these la this last little season. Um, when, when times are normal, the job of the leader is to inspire change. But when times are disruptive, the job of the leader is to provide stability. And right now we're in a time of disruption. For, almost, for my entire season of ministry up until the last two years, we lived in relatively normal, stable times. Mm -hmm. There were blips, there were issues, right? There's always something. But that's why almost all of the leadership has been about bring change, unstick the stuck church, get people you know, uncomfortable who are too comfortable. And all of that is correct and right. And there are still places where that is going to be a primary thing. But right now, we're not looking for more disruption or more change. Right now, people are just trying to find a stable way through the, the disruption. Mm. So right now, I think that feeds into what is actually probably the leadership sweet spot for most pastors, especially of smaller congregations. We're not as good at bringing change. We are really good at providing stability. So, and for us, as we talked about earlier, that's something that we need even in our, for our own emotional and spiritual makeup right now. I don't need any more disruption in my life. Thank you very much. Don't need uh, to start I a new program. Don't need to. Exactly. No, I, I, and, and even the simplification we were talking about earlier, if you stopped doing a bunch of programs during COVID, don't be in a rush to restart them all. Uh, this is, it's easier to not restart a program than it is to stop it after it started again. So we're in a time of disruption. Lean into your strengths of providing stability and pro providing uh, comfort and being a non-anxious presence in a very anxious time. Non-anxious presence in a very anxious time. Good words for pastors as they listen. Uh, speaking of which, we're going to ask you a question here, asking about how we can pray for you, your family, and your ministry, Carl. But I want to let our listeners know that you actually have a podcast as well. Can This Work in a Small Church is the name of the podcast. Tell us a little bit about that before we uh, wrap up. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I started it a little while ago, and we do interviews with church leaders. And basically what we do is we'll talk about a significant church leadership issue, and we'll talk about it from this kind of standard approach of how everybody's looking at it. And then partway through, we switch over to, okay, can it work in a small church, though? What does it look like? And most of the time, the answer is yes. Uh, we've recorded one interview so far that still has yet to come out where the answer is no, this won't work in a small church, uh, but you can do this instead. We had a tease. 
tease that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, it, it's yeah, it's it's about um, building a building a website. B- bottom line on that one, it was can't you just have a Facebook page or do you really need a website? And the bottom line is no. Even in a small church, you can't just have a Facebook page because okay. somebody else owns your content and can change uh-huh. it at any minute. So uh-huh. you, everybody's got to have a website. So that was, yes. that, that's the tease on that one. That's still yet to come. But yeah, most of the time it is, yes, it can work, but here's how we need to adapt it because the small church is different. So it's very mm. specifically designed to be practical for small church leaders. And even with a website, you need to maybe adapt that to a small church. It doesn't necessarily yeah. need to be all the flash and all the every message from your past 10 years and all of that. Yeah, it needs to be a simple online presence because the website, is, you're, you're, the physical front door of your church is no longer the front door of your church. In yep. most places, virtually everywhere, if you don't exist online, you might as well not exist for new people. Good stuff. One thing real quick on that though, I think for websites, it's no matter what the size of your church is, clarity is so important. Clarity on why you exist, what you're really there for. And even on issues and things, I'm not saying you put the full doctrinal statement, you know, with all the 10,000 proof text verses. What I'm saying is let people know who you really are, why you, why you exist in the first place and where you're heading. Because People are hungry now for community, for relationships, and the church is the answer for all of this uh, chaos that's going on. And we need to let people know that there are places, there are homes and buildings and coffee shops where they can go and they can become part of Jesus communities that are going to help them in this time of crisis. And websites are a, a really helpful way to do that. Agreed. Well, Carl, we want to know how we can pray for you in your family and your ministry. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, we are in a, uh, we're kind of in a season of wondering what our next step will be. You know, there, there are times of, of, of motion and growth where it's one step after another. And then every once in a while, you come to a point where you go, whatever our next step is, it's not going to be a single step. It's going to be a giant leap. We're going to have to make some major readjustments. And that's where we are right now. We've got some major, it's all good news. It's all forward motion. But uh, we can't just simply continue to do things the way we're doing them. We have to restructure the way we do ministry to make a big leap forward. So uh, prayer about how to do that, how to think about that, and where we're going to land on the other side of that big uh, chasm of a leap of faith that we're about to take. Speaking of not starting new programs right in the middle of all this, right? Yeah, exactly. But that's the challenge of this is it's created needs that we've really got to step up to yeah well we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us carl it's carl vaders you can go to the website carlvaders.com that's carl with a k k-a-r-l-v-a-t-e-r-s carlvaders.com for more information on his ministry as well as his podcast and we want to encourage you as pastors god is for you And we're here at the NEC because we're for you as well. Make sure you check out our website. All the information is available, including information on the podcast notes, all the connections you will need to connect to Carl Vader's. Thank you all for listening.